Turn your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 11 uh, this morning. Um, I am so excited to be able to speak and to share uh, what God's really laid on my heart uh, the last week or so when it comes to, uh, as we continue our series in influence, uh, face it, you have it now, what is what pastor preached uh, a few weeks ago, and then last week spoke on uh, the idea of us being vulnerable uh, as we talked about Jethro and Moses, um, to vulnerable to heed others' advice or even for us to speak into others. And uh, today we're going to look at the story of a young woman, um, and we're going to look at a principle here uh, from the story of her life that I feel led to address that it has created an, an attitude, an unfortunate attitude that has crept in uh, to the mindsets or into the lives of us as Christians sometimes today. And that mindset, I'm just going to call it like I see it, it's a lie. Um, it's the lie that somehow God cannot use us today because of our past. Um, I admit at times throughout my life, <clears throat> I too have felt this mindset it's usually coupled around times or events where I wasn't fully trusting in God as much as I should have. So we're going to look at the story today of a woman in the Bible that God used in an unexpected way. We're going to look full circle of a, a, a mention of her in Hebrews 11, and then we're going to look back at Joshua chapter 2 at the story of how she became to receive this legacy. Her name is Rahab. Her life can be summarized in three short words, harlot, hero, and faithful. The main point I wish that we take away from today's um, study is the idea that there is nothing, I repeat, there is nothing in our past that makes it impossible for God to use us today. There's nothing in our past that makes it impossible for God to use us today. And I have to admit, Michelle, I knew you were coming today, but I just didn't realize until sitting down how perfectly intertwined the Holy Spirit divinely appointed our meeting was today. And, and speaking on Rahab, I didn't plan to share this, but early 1981, a young 25-year-old a young lady recently moved to Las Vegas, Nevada from North Carolina. There was a lot of tension, there was a lot of strife, there was a lot of marital issues going on. She became pregnant in about February of 1981. She was advised by friends and family and even her own mother, my grandmother, to have an abortion. Now, if you know me, I'm not that old. But my mom decided to keep the baby. One of the greatest influences of my life is my older brother, Fred. And I go through this study and just look at how God used Rahab and the influence that we're going to look at today. I often wonder where I would be without my older brother, what I would be without my mom going to walks for life or, or listening to um, counsel. My mom wasn't pressured. She followed the Lord. In Hebrews 11.31, the Hall of Faith chapter, a chapter that is so rich and full of men and women that were just sold out for God, uh, patriarchs and leaders of Israel in the Exodus. And then in verse 31, you come to this woman by the name of Rahab. And it says, By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not. When she had received 
the spies with peace. Lord, in the next few moments, I pray that you would just fill me with the words you exactly would have me to share this morning. Empty me of myself and just speak through me. God, so that we, each and every one of us this morning can realize that nothing in our past disqualifies us from you using us for your glory and your way in our lives today. Lord, we love you. We ask this in your name. Amen. So in the life of Rahab this morning, we're going to look in Joshua chapter 2. We're going to spend a majority of the time in Joshua chapter 2. Uh, bear with me, we're going to read a good portion of it. I felt we just could not really see the whole context without reading through a majority of chapter 2. But we're going to look at a past reputation, we're going to look at her present motivation, and then we're going to look at her future legacy. In chapter 2, verse 1, it starts off, And Joshua the son of Nun sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into an harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. And if you're like me, you read Hebrews chapter 11 and you read Proverbs, or excuse me, Joshua 2.1 and you see right off the bat this woman by the name of Rahab um, and you see right away her profession, what she's known by. It's often said that we are defined or we can identify who we are by what we do. Uh, oftentimes, doctors will introduce themselves as doctors, pastors as pastors. Um, some, most times, our title will describe who we are or what we do. In this case, Rahab is introduced to us through Scripture as one who has lived a life of harlotry or prostitution. Now, you read this verse, two spies coming out of Israel. Now, Joshua has just taken the reins over from, from Moses as he's leading the children of Israel to the Promised Land, and uh, they've had these... M- Amazing accomplishments. God has delivered through the Red Sea. God has obviously delivered through Egypt and getting them out of ec- the, uh, the exodus from Egypt and all the plagues. And then there was also other military battles and conquests that had happened. When we see Rahab's life and we see this description, automatically we think, I know because I think this sometimes too, that her sin, there could be no greater sin. We automatically kind of put it on a pedestal of her sin is greater than another sin. But yet the Bible lets us know that if we offend the law at one point, we're guilty of it all. And can we just dispel that lie right now that in God's eyes, all sins are equal? Now, in, in our earthly circumstance and context, yes, are there different consequences for different things? Absolutely. But if we don't have that viewpoint of all sins are equals in God's eyes, I believe we do a great disservice to those outside the walls of this church or even new Christians to automatically weigh certain sins heavier than others. But remember, it only took one sin to put Christ on the cross. Now, as we look in Rahab's life, let us remember where we were and who we were before Christ came to us. Now, I was five years old when I accepted Christ as my Savior. The, 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 the major crimes that I had committed in my younger years was being the church brat with my friend Jonathan. People used to pray for one of us to like move to another state because the two of us together, we were just really bad. Um, and I didn't remember a lot of this. Family tells me stories later, and I was like, no, that couldn't have been me. Um, but as I read this story, I, I couldn't get past verse one. Her reputation of who she was. Now, her actions in the next few verses are not going to be anywhere indicative of what she used to do. And I think that's a beautiful picture of the gospel of Christ, that it's not about 
what we've done before because that grace and that blood on the cross covered that sin, but it's about how we live for Christ faithfully now moving forward. And in verses 2 through 11, we're going to see how Rahab faithfully is motivated. Now, if you know anything about me, I love watching movies. I am a spy movie junkie. A few months back, Kenny had told me that he cannot stand the Mission Impossible movies. That's like my wheelhouse. If it's Mission Impossible, if it's James Bond, if it's any type of spy movie, like those are things I just like, I'm a movie junkie when it comes to those things. So when I'm reading this passage, after verse one, spies hiding in a house in a city, I'm like, all right, I'm already in. Like I'm, I'm ready, like I'm watching a Bond movie, if you will. <coughs> so Rahab's reputation is in her past, but secondly, we're going to spend most of our time this morning in this present motivation. Verses 2 through 11 say this, And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men in hither tonight of the children of Israel to search out the country. And the king of Jericho said unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come to thee, which are entered into thine house, for they be come to search out all the country. And the woman took the two men and hid them, and said thus, There came men unto me, but I wist not whence they were. And it came to pass about the time of the shutting of the gate, when it was dark, that the men went out. Whither the men I went, what not? Pursue after them quickly, for ye shall overtake them. And verse 6, But she had brought them up into the roof of the house, and hid them with the stalks of flax, which she laid in order upon the roof. So right there in the first couple of verses, we see Rahab starts to, to hide the spies that come into her house. Now, some commentators would say, based off of her past reputation, it wasn't uncommon for people to like frequent her house late at night and then leave in the middle of the night because of her, of her past. Um, but in this interesting context, somehow someone got word to the king that there's spies in Jericho. So what the king does is he sends messengers to Rahab to bring the men to him that she is hiding. Now, at first, you'd think that's probably a good place to hide, but somehow King got the word. Now, right here, Rahab has a decision. She has a decision to make. Do I turn in the men and save my life right now, or do I hide them? Now, we're going to see a little bit of her motivation here in, in the next few verses. It says in verse uh, uh, 4, she took them and hid them and, and then deflected and defended the, the guards, if you will, away. She basically tells the guards, I don't know where these men went. They ran out the gates, go run after them. She distracted the guards away uh, from the very men that she was hiding on her roof. Why would she do that? What was her motivation? You see, in verse 7, it says, And the men pursued after them the way to Jordan <coughs> unto, the, unto the fords. And as soon as they which pursued after them were gone out, they shut the gate. And before they were laid down, she came up unto them upon the roof. And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land and that your terror is fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. Verse 10, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you. And when he came out of Egypt and what he did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed, and as soon as we heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. 
Not only did Rahab deflect and distract and, and make the guards go search an empty uh, hunt because they weren't going to find the spies. She comes back into the room and she goes up to the roof and says, hey, the reason why I directed them away is because I know who you are. I know who your God is. You guys literally crossed the Red Sea on dry land. You, you, um, you, you defeated these, an- these enemies and I and everyone here were afraid. The writing's on the wall. We know it's a matter of time before you roll into Jericho and, and overtake the city. So Rahab is understandably afraid. But I want you to notice something that she had said as I quickly read through that. She said, And I know, excuse me, verse 11, For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. I'm not a, I'm like, I'm not trying to dive too much into the text here, but I believe somewhere in between these verses, there came a moment where Rahab decided to leave her past life and trust in the almighty God of Israel to the point where she now knows that he is, the, he is God. He's not, it's not some false God that we worship here in Jericho. It's God of heaven uh, because of what has happened. And how many times as Christians do we go through things? Do we go through battles? Do we go through daily decisions where we struggle and we're like, God, I don't know if I can trust you, but yet we forget about the victories that he had done to bring us to where we are today. And yet she not only hides the spies, not only does she deflect the guards looking for them, she says, the reason I hid you is because your reputation precedes you. I often wonder in our Christian life, does our reputation as Christians precede us or do we go through life just doing enough to get by? Went to church this week, check. Gave to the Lord, check. Or do we intentionally live a relationship and a life with Christ that is one where He speaks to us through circumstances, He speaks to us through His Word, and yet we look at it and say, there's something different about that. And I believe Rahab became a Christian in that moment when she says, that is God. Now, what was her motivation behind that realization? Look at verse, um, verses 7 through 11, as I just read. The guards pursue, they find nothing. And she says, I know the Lord has given you the land. Isn't that like the most patriotic and like confident thing to say? Rahab's a citizen of Jericho. Imagine a foreign enemy coming into America and like we're hiding spies in our house and say, hey, I'm going to let you be here because I already know that we're going to lose the war. Imagine, is that like the most ironic thing for a citizen of Jericho to say? She goes on to say that the hearts of those in Jericho's faint at the word of Israel's deliverances and conquest, from the Red Sea to military victories and to the Exodus. Let's stop here for a second and reflect on this thought. Here we have a lady by the name of Rahab, who as the Bible described her profession was that of a harlot. She hides two spies of a foreign enemy. She reveals to them that you're God. He's the real deal. And he and, and the people already here know the outcome is going to happen. One can argue that Rahab here could be operating under fear. I personally tend to think that she's operating out of respect for who God is. And we saw another example of this in the book of Daniel with Nebuchadnezzar. When Nebuchadnezzar, a pagan and wicked king, as the Bible described him, leaned over his perch, looked into the fiery furnace where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were, and he saw the image, the visage of a fourth, and he literally said, he looks like the Son of God. 
If God can reveal himself to a pagan king, God could use someone like Rahab who literally has given her life to the idea that this God of Israel, he's real. He's the real deal. And if God can use Nebuchadnezzar to see Christ in the furnace, why can't we see the power and the grace of God living in our life every day? Why can't we see the idea that God can use us in spite of our past? I've heard it said to me, Pastor Dan, I, I have had a really rough past. You have no idea. You, you've, you live this squeaky life and squeaky queen. Can I tell you something? I had a rough past. I grew up in a single-parent home. I, I didn't have the greatest relationship with my stepfather. I had no real father figure in my life, and there's uh, a lot of you know, things that I deal with today as well. But can I tell you this? It doesn't matter if you're a pastor. It doesn't matter if you're a teacher. It doesn't matter if you've just attended Oasis for a few times. We are all equally broken. And we all need the grace of God. We all need the salvation given to us through Christ. So the idea of, oh, you're not broken. No, we all are broken. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. When we give our life to Christ, it's Christ who changes us. Michelle, I love what you said when the people that had counseled you didn't force you into a decision. They encouraged you to go to Scripture and read verses on life. Can I tell you something? In today's political age, it's real easy for us to get caught up in the, in the, in the, the both sides of this or that. But what I heard just now was Michelle, as a young lady, was encouraged by love, was encouraged by the Word of God. She wasn't encouraged to make this extreme decision or this extreme decision. She was pointed to the cross. Rahab, I believe, gave, put her faith in Christ. And, and, and when we put our faith in Christ, we're a new creature. The old things are passed away. It's not a pastor. It's not a church that changes the old things. It's the Holy Spirit. It's God that does that. Rahab feared and believed in God. She didn't allow her past from allowing God to use her in that moment there in Jericho. She very well could have turned the men in and saved her life presently for that day, but her actions, as you will see, will have a lasting impact on her and her family's legacy. The remainder of the chapter, verses 2 through 21, I want to focus not only on the, the past reputation that she had or the present motivation that she acted in, but the future legacy. Verse 12, it says, Now therefore I pray you swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that you would show also kindness unto my father's house, and give me a true token, as Rahab's talking to the spies, that you will save alive my father, my mother, my brother, and my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. And the men answered her, Our life for yours, if you utter not this our business, and it shall be, when the Lord hath given us the land, then we will deal kindly and truly with thee. Verse 15, Then she let them down by a cord through the window, for her house was upon the town wall, and she dwelt upon the wall. And she said unto them, Get you to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you, and hide yourselves there three days, until the pursuers be returned, and afterwards you may go your way. And the men said unto her, We will be blameless of this thine oath, which thou hast made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window, which thou didst let us down by. And thou shalt bring thy father, thy mother, thy brethren, and thy father's household home unto thee. And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of thy house into the street, his blood shall be upon his head, and we will be guiltless. And whosoever shall be in with thee in the house, his blood shall be on our head, if any hand be upon him. 
If thou utter this our business, then we will be quit of thine oath, which thou hast made us to swear. And she said, According unto your words, so be it. And she sent them away and departed. And she bound the scarlet line in the window. In the next few verses, the men return back to Joshua. They give the report to Joshua of how God has already given us this land because the people are afraid. They're afraid of the magnitude and the awesomeness of God because of how God delivered in, in previously with Israel. Isn't it interesting, though, like if you look at a quick correlation, that sometimes people outside the walls of our church can see God work more than sometimes the people inside the walls of this church can see God work. I just thought that was an interesting, like, hmm. So Rahab, verses 12 through 13, makes this request to protect her family. We see the motivation come to fruition. Uh, In verse 14, the spies honor her request and gave her a condition. If you keep silent about having us here, our life for yours. Where have we heard that idea before? Our life for yours. I see that as a foreshadow pointing ahead to the cross, how Christ laid down his life for ours. Rahab then in the next few verses, 15, 16, instructs them how to escape, how to hide so they won't be found. And then the men give her specific instructions, verses 17 through 20, that whoever is in your house, they will not be, they will not be killed. They will be spared. Whoever is outside of your house, they will be perished. This is almost the exact same thing that happened at Passover when the children of Israel were in Egypt. They had to be inside the house, underneath the doorpost of, a, of the blood of the lamb in order to be spared. This is what salvation looks like. Oasis, we have the truth of what God did and how God loved and how he gave us his only begotten son. Our mission, our heartbeat, you don't have to be a vocational pastor, you don't have to be in full-time ministry. Our heartbeat ought to be one of focusing on getting people from outside the house into the house. How does that happen? You show them the love of God. You don't judge them, as you had said, and and you teach them what a relationship with Jesus Christ looks like, what salvation looks like, what it means to ask God to forgive us of our sin and enter into a, a familial relationship with the creator of the universe. Our mission, the Great Commission, ought to be to go, teach, and baptize, disciple. Our focus should be getting people from outside the house, inside the house. Verse 21, she agreed with them. She sent them away. They departed, and she binds this scarlet line into her window. I'm going to fast forward a few chapters here into chapter 6, where the children of Israel have now made their way to Jericho, and God gave specific instructions on how they're to, to march on Jericho. And we all can go back to the Sunday school flanographs. Most of us know the story of how God specifically instructed that you're going to march around the city, you're not going to say a word. And then on the seventh day, you're going to let out a loud shout, and then the walls come crumbling down. In, in verse 6, or chapter, excuse me, chapter 6, verse 17, it says this, The city shall be accursed, even it, and all that are therein. To the Lord only, Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all that are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And a few verses later, in verses 22 and 23 in Joshua chapter 6, But Joshua had said unto the two men that had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house and bring out thence the woman and all that she hath, as ye swear unto her. And the young men that were spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brethren and all that she had. And they brought out all her kindred and left them 
without the camp of Israel. While Jericho was going to be under attack, while Jericho was under siege, the Lord honored Rahab's faithfulness. Rahab's faithful actions not only protected her family, but protected her future legacy. Now, in the immediate, we can look at, hey, this is what Rahab's focus was. She wanted to protect her father, her mother, and the entire extended family. But if you look further ahead in Scripture, Rahab's name pops up again. In fact, it's, it's spelled a little bit differently in the New Testament. It's kind of the way the, the language was, going from Hebrew to Greek. But what was the legacy of a harlot who trusted God? What was the legacy of a harlot who was afraid of what Israel was going to do, but through that fear, God spoke to her and she trusted and acknowledged the God of Israel is the real God. And I don't know about you, but in my study this past week, when I read this verse, I broke down. I was a puddle of tears. I just got this, I don't know other way to explain it that when you look at the story and you look at her past reputation, her present faithfulness, and you look at the legacy of protecting her family, Matthew 1 verse 5 says, in the legacy of Christ, our Savior, it says, and Salmon begat Boaz of Rachab, which is also Rahab, and, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed, Boaz in the New Testament, it's Boaz in the Old Testament. Rachab is, is, uh, is Rahab. At that moment, I literally said, what? Are you kidding me? What a story of God's grace. God used a young woman who had a checkered past, whose life was changed by the news or how real God was. She, in turn, saved her family. She, in turn, as a result of her faithfulness, kept the lineage, the line of Christ our Savior, in whole. As I shared a moment ago, my mom was encouraged to have an abortion. The story that Michelle just shared with us a moment ago. The point is this. It doesn't matter what we've done in our past. God can still use us today to accomplish His will. I'm just sitting there thinking, Michelle, of the story that you shared and what you had gone through, and now today you are serving in a ministry and and would you say 41,000 lives saved? Was that accurate? 45,000 lives saved. And you and other volunteers and, and people that have faithfully given and prayed in that ministry are a result of how God uses you today. Without Rahab, this can be said. There is no Jesus. Without Rahab, there is no hope of eternity. Without Rahab, there is no influence that we can have on others. Rahab used her influence to save her family, but not only her family, I believe God intentionally used her to save all of humanity through the grace and the blood of Jesus Christ. And here's the reality. We focused a lot on who Rahab was in her past, how God changed her in the present, and how she faithfully has a legacy to when we go back to Hebrews, it, it talks about that. But here's the truth of it. Each and every one of us are Rahab. Each and every one of us are broken. Each and every one of us need a Savior. And I don't know what our story is, but we look at this story of Rahab. We look at the story of a young woman that the Bible describes as her profession. The Bible describes of what her past was. Even when you get to Hebrews chapter 11, it doesn't leave out the word harlot. It's intentionally there again to remind us of it doesn't matter what her past was. God used her in Jericho to lead to the cross. Her story has influenced 
not just hundreds, not just thousands, but millions of people today. You can't have the cross without Rahab. Each and every one of us have a unique story of how Christ came to us and how we were broken and we were in sin and we were in need of a Savior. Maybe it's the story that we could share with friends and family. Maybe it's the story that we know that we have a relationship. And sometimes as Christians, we need to get out of our own way to allow God to use us. Mostly 830 is church family. I do see a a few new faces today, so I don't want to go without saying this. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. God loves you. It's the simplest truth of it. He loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for you. He loves you so much that he paints the picture of that anybody like Rahab who, in, as I said a moment ago, in our eyes today when it comes to like looking at sin could be like, wow, that was a really bad sin. No, all of our sin are equal in that, in that sense. We're all equally broken. <clears throat> but maybe you're here today and you have no idea what it means to have a relationship with God. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know. You may have a story of a, of a broken past. You may have a story that says, hey, you know, this has happened, this has happened, this has happened. But can I tell you something? The reason you're here this morning at church at Oasis is because God wants you to be here. God orchestrated the steps, the schedules, and everything for you to be here this morning. And the question is, do you have that relationship with Christ? And if you do, are you allowing your past self hold you back from how God can use you in the future? As I shared a moment ago, I've had people say to me, you don't understand, Pastor Dan, you don't have my past. Uh, Respectfully, you don't understand because you don't know my past. The truth of the matter is this, that we have all of us are broken and we all have a broken story and we have a loving Savior who is the perfect antidote to the brokenness we have. He's the perfect piece to the puzzle to have a relationship and then in our Christian life, He is the perfect one to lean on and rely on to let us get out of our own way and allow God to use us. So we're talking about influence. We're talking about this series. How can my influence, how can my story influence others? Well, it's evident that Rahab's influenced us. It's evident that Rahab not only spared her family in the fall of Jericho, but if you go down the lineage and through Matthew, her family lives because of her faithfulness. And the line of Christ is still established. Going back to Hebrews 11.31, we'll, we'll end where we started. By faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received despised with peace. There is nothing, and I repeat, there is nothing in our past that makes it impossible for God to use us today.